Oh, it'll board down the gangplank of sorts. The coast of Dublin is, for many people, their first glimpse of Ireland. From the air, from the sea, on plane or boat. Hello there. Welcome aboard the St. And down the years it has been, for many others, their last sight of the island. You get such a, a different sense of the shape of Dublin, the coast. For us, though, this ferry from Dunleary will take us into the heart of Dublin city, not away from it. This famous port central to so much Irish history dates from 1817. The East Pier here, built after two ships sank in November 1807, with the loss of more than 400 lives. The stone for the pier was quarried in nearby Dawkey, and Dawkey Island is clearly visible on this fine day. Great light and those blue-green coloured hills back. The pier, with its view back to the Sugarloaf, the spires of Dunleary, and the architectural maritime echo of the town's fine new library, is one of the great recreation spots of Dublin County. And this ferry journey gives you a whole new perspective on Dublin. This great sweep to Hoth in the north and back to Kalini in the south, Donnyman Strand, the Kish and Bailey lighthouses. Imagine the Vikings sailing in here, settling, keeping slaves on the now distant Dorky Island, home to the first Stone Age settlers on this east coast of Ireland. From the bridge, the captain steers the ferry into the shipping channel that will bring us to the centre of the city. Ah. That's our electronic chart showing us where we are. We're on the, the white band there, which is the river okay. of the channel. Uh, so it's really precise, you know, exactly where you are. And where oh, you it is, yeah. yes, yeah. And now we approach the Tom Clark Bridge. The Custom House and Liberty Hall ahead, our ferry slows, and the bridge slowly opens. A small, big miracle of engineering and human ingenuity. So we're here, we're docked. You're listening to The County Measure. I'm Vincent Woods. We're making a journey around Ireland 100 years after independence and partition to get a measure, to get many measures of all 32 counties. We're looking at place, landscape and the people who shape their lives within these boundaries of community and county. In this series, I'm hoping to get a fresh understanding of each county and its people as we shape a radio atlas of Ireland. Dublin is the oldest county in Ireland, the third smallest and the most densely populated. One and a half million people live in the county, 90% of whom live in the city and its suburbs. From the sea, from the water, head towards North County Dublin. And the development of Dublin with its expanding populations and new towns and administrative districts can be hard to process. Fingal, whose name derives from the fair-haired Vikings who settled here, had its own distinct language, Fingalian, spoken into the mid-1800s. In Knoll, in North Dublin, I always think of the great Illan Piper and music master Seamus Ennis and his family connections to the town and district. Seamus spent his last years living here and his musical legacy is captured in that fine album, the return from Fingal. Hello. 
So here in, in Lusk, in sight of the, the famous and very beautiful striking round tower and so much history in this place, uh, we're just here at the top shop, bar and, and coffee shop and we're going to pop in, have a, have a cup and see who we might meet. North County Dublin, the rich farmlands of Fingal, has also long been something of a food basket for Dublin City, indeed for the whole country. Apples, potatoes, veg of all kinds. At the bar we meet a farmer from nearby Rush, a remarkable man, utterly committed to traditional ways of working the land and occasionally fishing the sea. Aidan Coffee. It's really lovely to be here in Lusk. Right. Okay. It's a it's a fine it's a fine town and yeah. a very historic town. It is. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm from Rush myself, next village. Yeah. Well, it's not a village anymore. And of course, again, very much big farming country. It is farming country. It used to be years ago all fishing, like in I'm going back now to the twenties and that turn of the century. But then the market garden started, the tomato business, the whole lot, and you know more men were I suppose they were getting the a few extra bob out of, the, out of the market garden, so the fishing declined somewhat. Scurries was a big fishing port, I fished out of there myself. But yeah, big farm and big market garden country all around Rush, Lus, the whole lot. So did, did you grow up then doing a bit of farming and fishing? Well, my people, my great-grandfather, he sailed with Canadian Pacific. And my uncle Kevin, he's 103 at the minute. He market gardened all his life, and you know what I mean? The time of the ponies, the horses. Do you feel yes. a strong sense of connection to the land? Yes, here? yes, oh, and the sea. Yes, always did, always did. I loved, I loved both, because half my people were sailors, fishermen, and as I said, the other half market gardeners and done a bit of farming. I have a couple of tunnels at home. I still have the market gardening in me and the fishing. Last week we were um, making hay, yeah. and it rained, of course. Uh, I give Stephen Carrick a hand. He, he's Bilaley Shires, the big shire working horses, still has them. And, oh, uh, I, I rear a few uh, Clydesdales. So we work together, and we get into hay and all, and I give him a hand with the hay, and I get a couple of bales of hay. You know, we... we, we and that's what, the other thing that always strikes me here is, like, we're so close to swords, which is nearly a small metropolis yes, now, yes, yes. and the airport, yeah. and, you know, and Dublin City. That's right. But you could be, feel like you're a million miles away. That's right, that's right. My uncle, uh, that's 103 at the minute, his father, my grandfather, Peter O'Reilly, he used to go to the market garden, he used to have to go from Rush to the Dublin market on a, on a donkey. Six hours walking in, 12 o'clock at night, in there and back, you know, whatever they were growing, you know, carrots or whatever they were. Got the horses then, a horse could do it in four hours, but still it was a hard life. It's lovely to meet you. Yeah, Yeah, different world. Yeah, yeah, it's lovely to meet you. Same here, same here. Not too far away, near Swords, Denise Buckley still farms land that has been in her family for over a century. Denise, Vincent, lovely to meet you. Her crop, a somewhat niche vegetable, courgettes. Ah, Denise, we're here in this huge field of courgette crops. And here we have that, I love that, the courgette flower, that beautiful, vivid orange and the can yeah, see rows and rows and rows and rows of it yeah. uh, and so these and these are fairly well developed there. and I imagine some of these would be harvested soonish would they? Probably yeah. by the end of next week we'll okay. start picking in this section mm. so we're picking literally started on the far side of that field and we're moving our way across so every couple of days the next 10 beds will be ready to be picked and how long will that run the, the season for, for picking for growing picking would run till we will start roughly at the start of July finish the end of September all depending on the weather okay. so you're very dependent you know if it gets too dry they'll back off you need heat they don't like cold nights so you know they're a very fussy plant mm. but they're a lovely veg to eat Oh, I love, I love courgettes, yeah, absolutely. I, I use them in salad. I don't always yeah. cook them. Yes. They're great to eat raw. Yes. Yeah. One, of the, one of the problems, though, we do have is with a lot of the supermarkets, the fact that they want a bigger one, if you like. Whereas really, if you want to eat a proper courgette, it shouldn't be more than about four inches in okay. length. It should yeah. be nice, small and... 
10. And of course, again, I imagine supermarkets are looking for maybe a standard size as well. Customers like everything to be neat and packaged and neatly. It's very hard to get, you're not manufacturing it, you know, so it's very hard to get exact size and weights and, you know. And then I presume that the, Denise, that the relationship between the farmer and, you know, the supermarket, the retailer yeah. is really important oh, to is. all of this. Like, what's, yeah. how do you get these courgettes, for instance, to, to the supermarket? Well, I supply the likes of uh, Dole and Dennigan's and then they supply Dunn's and Tesco's and Musgrave's and Aldi. And one of the problems I do have sometimes with the supermarkets is they want it at a certain price, but yet they want me to tick all the boxes, and we do, but then they're not inclined to pay you for doing it. And then you turn around and find that they've brought stuff in from Brazil or somewhere with no regulations, and that's not a problem. And I presume, I mean, that comes back to customers as well, I include myself in that too, that I imagine we have to be prepared to pay a bit more if we want to support support Irish farmers and, and make sure that the industry flourishes. And yeah. you love it. I mean, you can I see do. that you love it. I have, to, I have to say, I am very passionate about farming. I love growing. I will be at my happiest when I can close that gate and this field looks the way it looks now. You know, everything's growing right. You know, it's, it's, it's working. And that's, yeah. I love that. And, and you do feel a sense of achievement that you're feeding people, that you're doing something yeah. good and worthwhile. We're looking at the people picking. Yeah. We're looking at harvesting going on. Yeah. Just, you know, a short distance from us, the tractor moving slowly through the crop and your workers yeah. picking the courgettes and yeah. and yeah. harvesting them carefully. And it, it's still, I think that always any harvest scene is yeah. really satisfying it's somehow. It it's just, you yeah. think, yeah, this is nature working the way it should be. Exactly. Yeah, and it's, it's, yeah. it's lovely. I just, um, Doran picked a lovely little courgette with that beautiful flower. Mmm. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah. Mm. Couldn't, couldn't come fresher than that. Yeah. Oh, it's gorgeous. But it's just so lovely, Denise, to be here today on this lovely, bright summer day, yeah. looking at the green, the courgette leaves waving, and those bursts of orange through it the people working in that sense of of the soil giving to us yes. it's so lovely you're listening to the county measure and we're in county dublin main street here in swords Despite the you know the, the volume of traffic, there is a real feeling on this main street of a of an old village of a small town, lovely old shops, and actually the shop fronts are are very striking here. They're really well maintained. Great deal of care you feel put into the development and planning of this street of the town, uh, and of course it's a major again a major connection hub, transportation hub for the city for the airport. But it it's a lovely feeling here stand under the big trees and imagine what it's been like over over the decades and watch the changes unfolding in front of you. Brigan in Fingal has been transforming over the past few decades. The town is also one of the most ethnically diverse and multicultural of Irish towns, with newcomers from at least seven African countries, and there are many Eastern Europeans in the town too. The Balbriggan Integration Forum was set up ten years ago to promote social inclusion and understanding among the many communities. On a Saturday afternoon, we see integration in action at the town's Unison Festival in the grounds of Braemore Castle. Hello, lovely to meet you. Yeah, it's a pleasure. At the gate, we meet Oigentano John, the PR officer of the Balbriggan Integration Forum. Tell me about 
Balbriggan. Oh, Balbriggan, where will I start? <laughs> Balbriggan is a very great community that is really expanding at a space that no one would really want to imagine. I think uh, the diversity is going to bring a lot of wealth, you know, in terms of human resource, you know, in every aspect, especially when we come to sports. And uh, there are areas that have not been tapped into. Yeah, because of course, I mean, Balbriggan is a very diverse town and community now. Mm. And as you say, that brings a great deal of richness, mm. but it brings challenges too. Yeah, yeah, I suppose yeah, it's yeah. about being realistic about the challenges, yeah. facing them, addressing them. Yeah. And as what we're doing today mm. is part of that, isn't it? I mean, yeah, just yeah, yeah. bringing people together to, mm-hmm. to meet each other. Mm-hmm. And you had this summer fest earlier yeah, as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in June. In June, uh, yes. May, June. Uh, yeah, a chance for people to, to meet, to come sample together. each other's foods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The only the only sense of my direction now is the acceptability. Yes. How well the society really accepted the minority. Yeah. So when the acceptability is there, there's going to be more energy. You see the energy that people bring out to, to shape on this, this society. We venture into the festival grounds and amid a vibrant array of local and global music, food and crafts, we meet Gronya Maguire. Deputy Mayor of Fingal, I've seen huge change in Balbriggan. I grew up in Balbriggan when it was maybe 3,000 people. We now nearly have 30,000 people. And I'm one that will always say that there's something in Balbriggan for everybody. But we've got to change the perception of people that are new to Balbriggan different cultures, different customs, and we're not all the same. And to open the door and for everybody to think that they can come in that door is not easy for some people. But I think that we are on that change. Um, And I think events like today, I wouldn't have necessarily wanted this to be called a diversity festival because sometimes I feel that excludes some people. So to me, Unison Festival, it's a festival of bringing people together. It's not excluding anybody. It's including everybody. And I think if that's what the message comes out of today is that Balbriggan is open and includes everybody. But we've still got a bit of work to do. It's not an easy one, but we're, we're working well. And it's about it's the community working to make these things happen. I have been in Ireland, I think, about 17 years. And uh, it's very difficult for me to consider like Nigeria as a kind of home country now because I go there, I spend barely three, three weeks and it's not possible to like see Nigeria as a, as a home anymore. Yeah. So here is more home. Water defines Dublin, its name, origin, reaching deep, giving us Dovlin from a dark pool, an unceasing spring. Dublin water, though, is not always at its best. But things are turning, thanks to the Dublin Urban Rivers Life Project. And in Griffin Park in Lucan, I visit a new area of wetland that's been constructed by South Dublin County Council to help improve the water quality of the local river. In the rain, sheltering under a tree, I meet project manager Richard Fitzpatrick. Richard Fitzpatrick, we're here looking, I suppose, at action unfolding in a sense of the two sides of nature, what what used to be and what what now is. And I suppose that it's important to say, isn't it, that these wetlands are constructed there. You're not restoring something that was there. You're actually making something new. Yes. Uh, so what you would have is typical mowed grassland that you would find in any park. Low in biodiversity, but what we've done is created an area that introduces a potential for a massive increase in that footprint for biodiversity. In this case, our idea is that we would have a footprint that has about two to three hundred mils of standing water in it and you have plants growing in that and then on the margins then you'll have wet and damp areas that 
other types of plants can grow in that they can't grow in fully submerged uh, water but they can grow in wet areas and then beyond that we have wild grass areas as well and uh, wildflower areas so you, so you're essentially kind of it's a, that you're kind of digging yes. out like large ponds allowing water to flow yeah. through and allowing then yeah. nature to be restored yeah. in its wildness all around yes what effect does that have on the water urban water tends to be polluted by urban activities there's polluted stormwater reaching our rivers because of misconnections at homes washing machines dishwashers sinks that are supposed to be plumbed to the foul sewer system but they some a percentage a small percentage get incorrectly plumbed to the rainwater system and eventually gets discharged to rivers so this water coming into the wetland here is slightly moderately polluted so we discharge it into the wetland and nature uses the nutrients in it, such as phosphate ammonia nitrate to grow the plants it's like fertilizer for the plants for the pond for every liter of water that enters it takes about 20 to 25 hours for it to leave so there's a good what we call a hydraulic retention time okay. so that slow movement of the water mm. is part of the cleansing process that yes. natural cleansing yes. process and it gives the, the, the flora and fauna time to act on that water Richard, the rain has eased a yes. bit, I think. Uh, we've been standing yeah, under a tree. Sure. But let's, uh, let's have a little walk and, uh, and, and look at a few things around this wetland. Uh, and struck immediately by uh, the good old thistles in evidence. Yes. And the, yeah. uh, the marigolds. Thistles. and yeah. Perfect. Uh, great uh, pollen source for bees. So you'll have honey bees, solitary bees. They love that sort of uh, um, plant because of the, the purple thistle in it. Um, you have dog di- now. So this is this was an area that was, as I said, left for um, without any topsoil, and we did shake in a little bit of wildflower mix. And the the providence of that mix we made sure was it was it was, it was good yes. and to our yeah. standard. And what you have here is the, some dog daisies. You have some uh, purple cornflower as well. Wonderful colour, that uh, vivid, vivid kind of blue into purple, gorgeous. Yeah, and corn it's marigolds. Yeah. So you have quite a bit in here that's uh, just, it gives it a nice pop, yeah. but it also has a nature value as well. Because it's nice for the people to see a little bit of colour in these. And we, we, we have designed it in that way that there's a little bit of visual extra. Yeah, yeah so it, without it being, draws you in. Ex- yeah. yeah, without being too bling. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's subtle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a nice flash of colour. Yeah. So, but so, just over a year ago, this would have been what, short grass. Oh yeah, just, just short. the same as what we're like, what like we're standing parkland. on here, just parkland grass. Yeah. And now it's. Uh, I'm. I'm actually. No, it's a Monet painting. <laughs> I like uh, it was an idea in our heads uh, about what it was, what it might be, and I'm I'm just shocked at how quick it has turned around into this. What is quite nice, and you see a hooded crows over there as well, just flying by. Get a job as a garden designer. <laughs> <laughs> I was a good team behind it as well. Like you know, it's it's um, I'm only here as a voice. The, there's a lot of people behind this. Coming up on the County Measure, Bake Off and Arts in Ballyfermot, on Changa, Bio, Itaulot, an early morning Lewis journey, and the view from the Hellfire Club. Usually the city, the capital of the country, site of Viking settlement and British power, of rebellion, the GPO, Croke Park, the real and imagined landscape of Joyce, Ulysses, Finnegan's Wake and Dubliners, Glasnevin Cemetery, Leinster House, the Doyle and Shannon, the Phoenix Park, 
and Orson Lutheran. Brendan Behan and Phil Linnett. Sinead O'Connor, Constance Markovitz, Kathleen Behan, the women of Moore Street. City becomes county. County becomes city. The city and county become almost one. But not quite. Hello, no. How are you, Vincent? Nice to meet you. I'm sorry, I'm late. No, you're grand. And surely one of the great pleasures of Dublin, county and city, is the ease and warmth of so many people, the spin of story and wit. Noel Roach is a virtual map of the old city and its hinterlands. Noel Roach, you grew up not too far from here, around Manor Street. Rathold Road in Cabra West. I went to school... St Gabriel's National School beside the Dublin cattle market and there was an abattoir up the top so the school was caught in between the two of them so that would bring me down to Prussia Street, Ockram Street all them old streets, do you see? So I met the finest and the nicest of people So you were working with the cattle drovers from the time you were fairly young? A little kid, yeah because they would give you money for sweets My father was a cattle drover and my eldest brother Paddy. So my father used to bring me with him. I mean, my father's gone since 1958. He died up at the North Circular Road, going to the North Wall with cattle. He had a massive heart attack. That time it was all ship a high. Everything was going down that North Circular to the boats to be shipped. So anyway, God rest me poor father, he never made it. He felt the heart attack, I believe, coming on. And he went in and sat at the pat. Lucky enough, I think he wasn't in front of the cattle. You know what I mean? But he felt it coming on and apparently he sat at the side of the path. So he didn't make it. I used to sleep with my father in the bed because my ma had the two young kids, uh, Marie and Betty, with the kids. So that was the settee in the parlour, right? He used to say a few prayers before he got into bed. And I used to want him to get into the bed to get the heat off him. Them houses were freezing. And I'd, I'd be in in a minute and be saying a few prayers. So, uh that was my poor father. Another time, Paddy, the eldest fella, came in late, but this night my dad got into the bed. I was the lawyer that he was in. So the next thing was, a knock on the door, and uh, my ma, of course, being down in the parlour, was the force to the door. So with that, some man spoke to her at the door. And she came up to the room and said, Fred, there's a man down at the door wants you. Cattle on the railway have to be taken off, Petey Lyons, which was his boss there was St Margaret's. So the next thing, my dad gets out of the bed, into the back room, Paddy, man, that's where they were, man, Paddy up, we're going. Ah, oh, dad, I'm only at the coming in. Well, you have to get back up, he says, as he was cattle down and they had to be taken off at Cabra Junction. But anyway, he says to me, do you want to come? I says, yeah, dad, I was mad. But he was bringing me everywhere with him, so he knew I was used to it. Yeah, dad. And Ted, mate, just imagine, one minute, I was in bed, ready for a nice sleep with my father, and the others was in bed in the back room. And all of a sudden, you're going by the house with cattle at the small hours of the morning. So oh, I was the lawyer sitting on the crossbar at the bicycle. So with that, up Rathout Road, all lovely. The, the thrill of it up to the Dominican convent, then the Dominican college, then into the back road. The nuns owned all that land, left the right-hand side to Royley's Bridge. And after that, it was like Texas with cattle. Far, as far as you could go to the right and as far as you could go to the left, Ashtown over to your left and Blanchestown and Fingless and, and Ballymun, that direction. And they had to go out at all hours. Them men, including my father and the rest of them, they would have got wet two or three times a day. Sure, the man was telling me once, says he should used to have to go into handlings to drink a drop of whiskey to get the heat back into them. They were wringing wet and the wet clothes on the but That's the way it was. But the little memories you never forget. You have a great memory, though. What? You have a great God. memory. So there's people that are sharper than me, but I've enough to remember good things. <laughs> Thank you.
Vincent. Good to meet you. Good to meet you. Yeah. So, Peter McLaughlin, you're you're about to start your shift uh, on the Lewis, driving here from from Broom Bridge, Cabra, North Dublin, over to Bright's Glen in South County Dublin. About an hour, isn't it? It takes an hour and three minutes from uh, Broom Bridge right to the end of the line to uh, Bright's Glen. And uh, yeah, shift started at six forty, so it gives us a bit of time then to um, check whatever safety information is is required for us every morning we'd, we'd sign on for our duties and then we check and see what relevant safety information is there and make sure everything is working okay before we take it into service so yeah I'll just take you inside the cab here now take a look um, so the kind of things that we're looking for in the morning now is that uh, when we're doing our, our pre-departure checks is that everything is in order mm. we have our cameras working okay um, seals are in place mirrors are fine doors are working fine there are no faults showing up on our screens here you can monitor everything essentially. Absolutely, it, yeah. yeah. Like if something happens, yeah. Like you know, a fault with a door or something, it'll show up here mm. for us, and then we can go then and try and rectify the problem by resetting it. Mm. Or if there was a problem with maybe a break or something like that, it would show up here, yeah. and then there's a procedure. Then we we go to then to to try and rectify that. Then we have our AVLS here, which tells us our destination and what's the arrival time, arrival time, arrival time, estimated and so time, and yeah, yeah. And so again, you'd be alerted to any problems ahead on the track, or uh, well, yeah, well, obviously it's it's line of sight driving. So you're high level of concentration, as we're saying. You've got to be observant and watching what's sure. what's going on ahead of you. Uh, in the morning time, as I said, when you, when you'd sign on for duty, if there's any relevant safety information that would be yeah. available there on sign on, so you you could you get a, a pre warning if you like, as to yeah. you know maybe there's a speed restriction on the line, mm. being temporary speed restriction being placed in the line, so. You know, that's, that's the kind of information we'll be looking out for in the morning. So, Peter, look, we're due to yeah, the park now. Great so to meet you. And, too, yeah, thank you for Thanks. your driving and for Cheers. getting me safely around the city, <laughs> the <laughs> county. Take care. <laughs> Bye now. Thanks a million. Ballyfermot has long been one of my favourite parts of Dublin, so I was prepared for the pleasures of the Ballyfermot Bake Off in the fine Ballyfermot Family Resource Centre, part of the recent Ballyfermot Cherry Orchard Arts Festival. This is Audrey. I meet Centre Manager Audrey Coyne as she flits between makers and judges as the competition takes flight. It's about getting people together, have a bit of crack around baking. Everyone loves to bake and everyone loves to eat cake. But if the Arts Festival, just to say the Arts Festival, most important message is it's no to racism. So that's what we're trying to get out into the community of Ballyfermot and that's what all these events are about, is bringing people together under that. Because of course Ballyfermot is now, like a great deal of the country and County Dublin, really diverse. It's very, very diverse and we're happy, you know, we've a lot of people coming into the centre from different backgrounds and they're all very welcome and our, we have a creche here and they come from all different backgrounds and they're all very welcome and we all get on great together here. Such a lovely feeling in this community centre. It really feels like a community centre. It is, and we've a lot going on. So you'll see you probably passed our cafe there. So our Meals and Wheels go out there every day. We've built 45 Meals and Wheels go out to senior citizens in the community here. And we do the best breakfast in Ballyferma for €6, full breakfast. So I have to get that advertisement in. I'd have to come back out for my breakfast a few mornings. They're busy there. You'll see as you go by. Hello. Hello, how are you doing? I'm Vincent. I'm Sarah. Sarah, lovely to meet you. Yeah, great to be here. We're uh, here every Friday morning. In a room uh, off to the right, enthusiastic Bake Off contestants are in great voice. Oh, the summertime is coming And the trees are sweetly blooming And the wild mountain thyme Goes around the blooming heather Will you go, lassie, go? I Next door, the judges are getting ready to judge sponge sandwiches, skirt cakes, black forest gatto, a pink iced birthday cake, and even a flamboyant opera cake. So, 
falls to you to judge. Yes, I yeah, we're, we're getting excited now, aren't we? We are so excited to just start this. <laughs> look how, at them, they're I just know. amazing. I, know. I was actually looking at them earlier and thinking, yeah. how would you start in terms of tasting? Well, well I think each... we'll go with um, parents first, yeah. you know, because there'll be different categories. And then we'll go with taste. Okay. Yeah. And then we'll have a little discussion, won't we? Yep. Well, I reckon, I reckon that uh, the competitors here are in very good hands. <laughs> We'll do our best. Yeah. We will <laughs> suffer through and eat yeah. as many as we can. <laughs> it cuts yeah. beautifully. Yeah. The texture is quite nice and moist. Oh, oh it's wow. Black Forest Gatto. Whoa. Whoa, that's a nice treat. I'm sorry, I'm going back for seconds. We're going to be sick by the end of it. I have baked um, a red velvet cake. My uh, work colleagues love it, so they persuaded me to put in for today. Irene Moran. I made uh, one tea break and fruit slices, which is known as gore cake in Old Dublin. Ronan, I saw this was going on. I lived just around the corner. I thought, why not pop down with something? Moved here about two years ago after spending six years in various parts of Dublin. There's a lovely sense of community, this kind of thing. Um, it's a lot of people who are from the area, not, not a lot of blow-ins like me, but they threw their arms open anyway. So did you just over? And the winner is... The Opera Cake. You're listening to the County Measure and we're in County Dublin. Here in the heart of Old Halle, in the old village, there's this marvellous community initiative running a few years, the Ain Scale Café, catering to the Irish-speaking community of Tala and the many people who like to drop in and use the Coupla Fuckle. So we're going to go in to have a cup of tea and a chat with one of the people behind it, the driving forces of the cafe, proud Irish speaker, Dawn McKeever. Vincent. Vincent. Cane size coffee will do, Gary. Um, Capum uh, Americano. Americano. Did you have Irish at home? growing up? Uh, we'd no Irish at home really, like my dad would have a good understanding of the language but we wouldn't have spoken Irish as uh, home really. And you obviously then learned, you loved the language from, from schooling, from education. Yeah, so I was quite lucky. As I was growing up, I always had an interest in the language. So even when I was a teenager, my friend Surika and I, we used to do, um, like, for Shocked and the Gaelga, we'd speak in Irish for the week and we'd try and raise some money for Chokra, I think it was back then. And we'd be on the bus and we'd be a kind of Gaelgill and a Kayla and we thought we were so cool. Like, so I think because I had a love for it when I was kind of a young teenager, as I went through secondary school and then on to adulthood, I always kept up a kind of scale in Ishisarish. I never thought that I'd be working um, in the Irish language. So for me, um, in the last few years, it's been a real bonus actually for me. Because, you know, you, you managed the cafe for a while, but now you have a job as the Irish language officer for the Tala area. Yeah, which is amazing, really. Like, one of the parts that I enjoy about it is that um, we're able to put on a lot of events for people in the, in the local community. So we do run a lot of family-free days here as well. And I think in an area like Tala, even though the population has increased massively in the last few years since I was um, a child, there are still families in the area that would be at a disadvantage in terms of finances and stuff like that. So we do like that we're able to put on those kind of family events for people that are on a low income as well. So that's that's good for me anyways. And there, is, it, is it for Gale Skulls now in, in the wider area? Yeah, so we have Gale Skull Lear, Gale Skull Nakusha, we have Skull Cotley and Maud, the school that I actually went to myself, and then we have Skull Santon. So altogether you're looking at... Hundreds of children. 
Oh yeah. Having their education thrive. Part of my job really is to encourage the poshty that don't have the cupola fuckle scale. So even yesterday now we had a summer camp in and it was um, children from the English school. But the teachers already had a few phrases done with them before they came down to the cafe. So when they were ordering their sandwiches yesterday, they were saying, Amal Katagum. <laughs> Capril, a chocolate spread <laughs> or the Kintmarshin and it was so nice as well because a few times they were asking oh I'm will catagum dulgadi and letters and I said oh yeah Tashishkrifa Aaron Doris and Shin so they were actually so delighted with themselves and really proud of themselves that they were able to use the cupola fuckle oscail that they do have here in a space um, that's welcoming for everybody. Dawn, I think when you were growing up, living in Tara wasn't always seen as the most positive thing and you would have been encouraged in school to slightly adapt your address. Yeah, so I remember when I was doing business studies and we were doing out our CVs, we were kind of, there was that kind of feeling that if you put your address down as Tala that maybe you wouldn't even get to an interview stage so I was quite lucky where I was living that I had um, two postmen so I could put on Saggart, I could put on Tala for my address um, so most of the time I'd put on Saggart because I felt that a lot of people had that kind of attitude that if you were coming especially if you were going for a job that was outside Tala so still depending who you're talking with there is that kind of a vibe that oh Tala it's kind of a disadvantaged area oh it's kind of a trouble area you know and I think with the population that has expanded so much in the last few years obviously there are some areas that won't be as good as other areas but I think that attitudes need to start changing and when you think of somewhere like Tallet, like Ballyfermot, like Darndale, like any of these areas across Dublin in every area there's really really good decent people and of course in every area you have a small minority of people that give the place a bad name how are you today? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, that's How are you? My name is Stephen James Smith. I'm a writer from Dublin. RTE gave me the writing prompt of Dublin 19, a place that doesn't exist. So I reflected on it and imagined my hometown in the future. This is what I came up with. There is no air code for Dublin 19. But that can't stop me from thinking what it might mean. A future utopian or dystopian place. A tiernan oak of the mind or a cloud storage database. Would it be just a rebranding of the urban sprawl? Will we still hear renditions of the Galway shawl? Dublin 19 could be a place of hope. Somewhere where consultancy fees aren't such a joke. In Dublin 19, the best-selling car is a Marty. It's from a French company and is quite sporty. Dublin 19 is a place that's been split in two. After too many Sam Maguires leaving the Colchies with too few. Dublin 19 has a memorial for Sinead O'Connor. To serve as a reminder to be brave, truthful and uphold honour. What we could and should stand for is not something hard to swallow. The obedience of the citizen produces a happy city is a poor motto. Dublin 19 has a metro and joined up thinking. And if you believe that, you must be dreaming. Dublin 19 is a place where outrage and outsourcing are things of the past. Be it in Montrose or Mount Joy, justice will be swift fair, making changes that will last. Dublin 19 is commuter towns and traffic congestion. It relocates dubs down Bowreens with slow internet connections. Dublin 19 is where everything is decentralised. It's moving beyond the pale and viewing the whole island with new eyes. Let's hope in Dublin 19 the only thing that'll be daft will be the low cost of housing and the price of points on draft. Dublin 19 will be a place that saved the cobblestone for its culture and song that makes this city of a town feel like home. Dublin 19 is a place that doesn't yet exist, 
but it's up to us to make it everything we want and what we've missed. Dublin 19 is a kiss, a promise, a thought of a better day. It's a love letter to hope, and here's hope, and we can make it that way. Dublin City has its small Chinatown of sorts on and around Parnell Street with an annual festival to mark Chinese New Year. A recent addition to the many restaurants in the area is a marker of that difference and a visit to Afanti Restaurant on Cavendish Row on Parnell Square provides unexpected insights into the rich culture of the Uyghur people of northwest China. Hello. <laughs> Good. I'm Alner and we are at Afanti restaurant. It's a Uyghur traditional cuisine. Afanti means mister. So he's the guy very long time ago. He used to ride a donkey and goes to the doors and tells jokes to people. So house, he's very popular back then. So we have uh, stories about him. So we just choose that name. <laughs> so he's, he's a character you see in the Islamic folklore? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So um, China, Uyghur, they're based in northwest of China. So there's 100 million of Uyghur people population, 100 million. And there's Uyghurs in Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan. Our language is similar to Turkish, and uh, we're all uh, mostly Muslims. And our alphabet is like Arabic alphabet as well. So a very distinctive culture yes. and language. Yeah. And music too, and I think. And music, yeah. yeah. And yeah. we love dance. Uyghur people, I think everybody likes to sing and dance. Any party you go, there will be definitely music and dance. And I wonder then, in general, growing up, do people speak and learn much Chinese? Do you learn a little Turkish? Um, as I remember my childhood, we have a Uyghur school and we go to Uyghur school, but we learn Chinese. And t- Turkish is, it's like, how do we say, 50-50? So, you know, sometimes we speak, they understand, and some words they don't, and same as with us, with Turkish. And I really want to ask you about the teas, tea, the because I know tea. the teas yes. are, are very particular. Tea. I know Irish people like to drink with the sugar, but instead of sugar, we use salt. <laughs> so it's really dark tea, added milk and salt. Yeah, I'll go for the salted tea, the special tea. I try think it. I, have to, yes. I think yeah. I have to try it. Definitely. Yeah, wonderful. We're here in the Dublin mountains, uh, about to set off on one of the trails that takes us up to the famous Hellfire Club. Dublin County is so lucky to have access to the mountains, to these walks. You know, it's that idea that you move so quickly from the sea to the mountains. County Dublin is a rattlebag of life and lives, energy surging, wealth and poverty sleeping side by side. It would take a lifetime of listening and talking and travelling to get a fuller canvas. We catch sight of the famous stone roof of the Hellfire Club, the, the hunting lodge built by William Connolly, the Speaker of the Irish 
House of Commons in the early 1700s. And uh, was famously the, the roof, the original roof was blown off shortly after the hunting lodge was built and uh, local legend had it that it was the devil blew it off. From the serenity of a small hilltop graveyard and monastic ruin in Kalini to the rattle and hum of the city, the sprawl and change of new towns, the farmlands of Fingal and the coastal wonders of Benether and Sandy Cove and Ireland's Eye, the expanding network of data centres, the homeless begging on the city streets, the roar of crowds in Crow Park and Lansdowne Road and Dalymount. Dublin is a powerhouse and a fragile ecosystem. In Dublin's fair city Where the girls are so pretty I first laid my eyes on sweet Molly Crying cockles and mosses 